Well, good evening, church. I'd like to give you all a special welcome to those of you who are here in person and also to those of you who are joining us online. Um, I have a short message that I want to share, and then after that, we're going to be taking communion together. So it might be a good idea to kind of prepare ourselves for that just now. So a, a couple of words to those of you who are joining online. Maybe right now would be a good time for you to go and get some bread and wine or crackers and cranberry juice or whatever you've got in the house that you can use for communion so that you're not rushing and looking for it when we actually go to take communion. And also for all of us who are here in person, it's great to see so many of you here at our first service. Uh, we will be taking communion. You have the stuff in front of you. But because we're using these little single-use cups, I just want you to know they're not always the easiest things to use, especially when you rip them open in a hurry, uh, which you probably will do if I su suddenly blurt out, let's take communion and you're not ready. Because there's two, there's two things you pull off. You, you pull off the first layer And that's how you get the wafer. And then you pull off the second one, which is not always that easy, to get the wine. But if you do it really quick, you tend to rip them both off at the same time. And your little wafer stuck in a vacuum pack that you will never open in a million years. So maybe can I suggest before we get into the message, maybe just peel the top one off so you can take a couple of minutes to do that. And then that will make it a lot easier um, at the end of this message when we actually uh, take communion together. So, here we are. It is Good Friday. Um, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, this whole weekend, is the weekend that Christians especially remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus now, we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus often. As Christians, we talk about it often. We remember it every time we take communion together. But in this weekend, there is a special emphasis on it, just like at Christmas, there's a special emphasis on the incarnation, the birth of Christ. At this time of the year, we have a special emphasis on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, I want to share a message with you called, The Power of the Cross. The Power of the Cross. And what I'm going to do this evening is something a little bit different. I don't even think I've ever done anything like this before. I'm not really going to preach to you my sermon um, I'm, not, I, I'm not really going to preach somebody else's sermon either, but what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to tell you a story about another sermon on the power of the cross that I once heard being preached, and how listening to that message on the power of the cross changed my life forever. And the reason I'm doing this is to point out that I want you to listen carefully to the message of the power of the cross, because it could just change your life forever as well. 
And so, before I get into the message that, that I heard preached once, um, I better give you a little bit of a background. First of all, it was the year 1984. I can still remember a sermon that I heard preached in 1984. I wonder if you could remember a sermon that long. It depends whether it was boring or not, I suppose, doesn't it? And whether it was memorable or not. It was 1984. I was a young man who was not a Christian, who was just your usual non-Christian, secular type person. My life was pretty much out of control due to drugs and various other things as well. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I wasn't like a particularly bad person. I didn't rob banks or stab people with knives or anything like that. But my life was quite clearly going in a direction that was headed to destruction. In the midst of all of this, I met, became the acquaintance of this guy who was the pastor of a Baptist church. He was fairly young. He was pretty cool. And so I, I thought, I'll talk to him. I'll ask him all these questions. And over a period of a few months, I had a number of conversations with this man about Christianity. So I knew a little bit about it. On top of that, he had taken me to church maybe about half a dozen times. Sometimes it was to a Sunday morning service in a church building, and sometimes it was to a house church uh, where about 30 people crammed into to a living room and played guitars and sang and studied the Bible. So I, I, I had heard quite a bit about Christianity and knew that they believed in, a, in God and that God loved us and that God sent his son Jesus and Jesus died on the cross and rose again and that there were certain things that were sins and we weren't supposed to do them and there was something called prayer and sometimes if you struck it lucky you might get your prayers answered. That was about as much as I understood of the message, Okay. And really, to be honest, I didn't want to become one of these Christians because I was going to have to give up all the stuff in my life that they called sins. And I thought, not only do I not want to give this up, there's no way I could live up to that. And I was right. There was no way I could live up to it if I had given all that up. I didn't yet fully understand the power of the cross. I was still thinking that this was a philosophy, a religion, a way of life, a, a belief system, something like that. I didn't realize that Christianity was none of those things. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not a belief system. It's a miracle where God miraculously changes your heart and life and brings you into a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. I didn't get that. And so one night, I had a little bit of this Christian background, this information, but one night I had a dream. It was a strange dream. It was a profound dream. It was a dream that was so vivid, it was more vivid than being awake was. And all of these decades later, remembering this was 1984, all of these decades later, I can still to this day remember that dream as vividly as I did the night that I had it. It was a strange dream, but I need to tell you before I tell you about the sermon, or the sermon might not make as much sense. So I had this dream that I was at work, 
And there was nothing much to do, and so me and my workmates were gambling. We were playing cards and gambling. And even in the dream, I understood that this meant something. See, I didn't believe dreams meant things. I thought dreams were just nonsense going through your head, particularly if you'd eaten a very spicy curry before you went to sleep or something like that. That's what I thought dreams were. But I knew when I, while I was having the dream that this meant I was gambling my whole life away. And then as I was gambling in this dream, a door opened and one of my work colleagues came in and said, it's time now. And everybody went really serious. And I knew what that meant. In the dream, I knew it meant it was time for me to die. And I didn't even resist it or anything. It was like it was inevitable. It is inevitable. Every person in this room will die one day. And the day that you die, a mask or hiding in your basement or anything else won't help you. You will die. You'll die of something. And I will die. It was inevitable. It is inevitable. And I didn't even fight it. My friends seemed to all turn against me and take me out to this courtyard where there was a wooden cross lying there. And they laid me on it and they nailed me to it. And I felt everything in the dream. And strangely, I remember noticing there was a square hole kind of like this thing here. There was a square hole in the ground. And after they nailed me to the cross, they lifted it up and slid it into the square hole and it bumped down. And as it bumped, searing pain went through my body and I woke up. And when I woke up, I spoke out loud. I said, I'm thirsty. But it was hard to speak when I woke up because I was so dehydrated. My mouth was so dry that my tongue was sticking to the roof of my mouth. I had sweated so much the bed was, you could splash on it. It was so, and I remember waking up and thinking, I had to take a glass of water and thinking, I'm going crazy. This must be like religious mania. I'm going to end up locked up or something like that. I've been listening to these Christians too much and I tried to shake it off, but I couldn't. The next day, I got a phone call from this Baptist pastor who said to me, I've been invited to speak at a church this coming Sunday, not my regular church, another one. Would you like to come with me and accompany me to it? And we can talk on the way. And so I said, okay. And he picked me up on the Sunday. We drove quite a long distance to this church. And when we got there, he went in and went into the back room and all that. I came in and sat on the back row, and as I sat in the back row, I didn't tell him anything about the dream. He got up into the pulpit and he said, today I want to speak about the power of the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. I instantly began to listen. And then he said that, he began to describe what a crucifixion was like and what the process was like. And everything that he was describing, I couldn't believe it. 
It was exactly like my dream. He mentioned how the nail went through, not the palm of the hand, but the heel of the hand, as it did in everything that happened in my dream. He mentioned that there would be a hole in the ground that the cross would be bumped down into and searing pain would go through the person's body. He mentioned that the person would perspire so much on the cross that they would eventually die of dehydration and suffocation. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then he began to talk about how Jesus' crucifixion, even more so, there were things that were done. How Jesus cried out that he was thirsty on the cross. How people were gambling as he was dying for his belongings. And so on. And, and I was totally spellbound. And then he said this, the death of Jesus on the cross was no accident. He didn't die as a martyr. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't, oh, the great plan has now failed and he's been arrested and put to death. Jesus' death on the cross was God's plan all along. And then he said, it was prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then he took us to a verse in the Bible, Psalm, Psalm chapter 22. And this is what it said. It started with the words that Jesus himself said on the cross. This prophecy was written 1,000 years before Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. I am poured out like wax, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. Next verse. My mouth is dried up, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. People stare at me. All my bones are on display. People stare at me. They gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Well, I'm sure you can imagine like the preacher had my attention. And then he said, not only, not only did the Bible prophesy and predict exactly how Jesus would, this is describing a crucifixion before, a thousand years before it happened. Not only did the Bible predict what would happen, but he then went on and said this, the Bible also predicted why it would happen, why Jesus would die on the cross and rise again from the dead. And then he took us to the prophet Isaiah, and this prophecy was written 700 years before Christ. And it explains the purpose of the crucifixion. It talks about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. And it says he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. 
Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. But surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Next verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions. You know, I remember when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out and there was all these debates on the, in the news about who was to blame for Jesus' death. Was it the Jews who betrayed him or the Romans who crucified him? And they finally asked Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson said, I'm responsible for Jesus' death. Me, you, and the world. I'm responsible because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our, our own way, but the Lord laid on him on the cross the iniquity of us all. Let's read on. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Let's keep reading. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. He will rise again after he dies. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the fruit of his suffering, the people who have been saved, and be satisfied. For by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." Well, I was totally stunned as I sat in the church at the very back row that day because it was like I felt like there was nobody else in that building except me and the preacher. And I felt that the preacher wasn't speaking his own words. It felt like God was speaking to me in that building. I suddenly understood it was like the preacher had stood there and gone to the Bible and interpreted my whole dream for me. I was a lost sinner. I wasn't just a naughty kid. I was a lost sinner, hopelessly and helplessly and totally lost. I was living my life without God, and when I died, I would die without God, and when I went into eternity, I would spend eternity without God. 
I was lost, helplessly and hopelessly lost, and so are you if you've never put your faith in Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I realized that day I was lost. And it was worse than that. I realized that there was absolutely nothing I could do to fix it. Hopelessly lost incapable of remedying the situation. But I also realized that day that it would take God to save me and that God had already done the work, that he didn't want to leave me there lost. He said, I will become one of you. I will become a human. I will live amongst you. I will die in your place. The wages of sin is death. My dream was saying, I deserve to die like everybody else. I'm a lost sinner. But Christ came and took my place on the cross so that I could be free and so that I could be forgiven and so that I could be changed. And then the pastor that was preaching said this. He took us to Luke's gospel and he said, and here was what Jesus finally did. When they came to the place of the skull, called the skull, they crucified him there along with two criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Two lost sinners. One who would continue to reject Jesus and the other one who would get the same revelation as he died on the cross that I got as I sat in the back row of that church, that this is the Savior. Two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Next verse. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. The only sinless one is the one who died, and he died for the sinful ones. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what Good Friday is all about. That's what the death of Jesus on the cross is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about all of the other things that we may do. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've been baptized three or four times in different denominations. Maybe you attend church. Maybe you volunteer in a church. 
My goodness, it's possible you could even study theology and become the pastor of a church and still be totally and completely lost because your life has never been transformed by the power of the cross. We sang in Christ alone because its salvation is found in Him alone. And I hope that if you have not yet come to the revelation that you are a lost sinner. Oh, I'm not that bad a person. I mean, surely God's, God will just forget. So what, Jesus died for no reason? <laughs> God set up this whole plan of salvation, but your sins aren't really that bad? If that's what you think, you've not yet had the revelation. You need to have the revelation that you are a lost sinner hopelessly and helplessly lost, incapable of saving yourself, and the only cure is the cross of Jesus Christ, where God Himself took your sins, took your darkness, took your lostness upon Himself so that He could give you His righteousness, His forgiveness, His Spirit, and His blessing. That is the gospel. That is the Christian message. We do other things. We get baptized, we pray, we read the Bible, we attend church, but we do all that after we have been saved, not in order to get saved. We are only saved through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, and all we have to do is believe. Let me just show you this last passage from John's gospel before we take our communion together. It says this. Now, of course, this is three days later, right? We're here on Sunday now. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, when Jesus rose from the dead. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, unless God does this, this, and this for me, I won't believe. You're still lost then. You're as lost as I was, as lost as Thomas was here. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Lockdowns don't work very well at Easter time. He came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, young man. I mean, it doesn't say Thomas did it. He was in shock, obviously. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And what happened? Let's read on. Then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, is that who Jesus Christ has become to you yet? My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That day when I heard that message, my eyes were opened, my heart was opened, and I believed. A few days later, I actually made a public confession of faith, and my life changed. Remember, I said I could never live up to it. What I didn't realize was I didn't need to live up to it. When you believe, God changes your heart. He takes away your old desires and puts in a new one. Your old life died with Christ and was buried on the cross, and you're a new person, and that is what Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and Christianity, and the Bible, and the church, and the whole gospel is all about. We're going to sing a worship song, and we're going to take communion in a moment. I want us to start off by just saying the Lord's Prayer together. And if you've never fully put your faith in Christ, you can do that as we pray as we ask for forgiveness, and as we sing the song we're about to sing, asking God to cleanse us and to create a new heart in us. So you can just remain seated just now, but let's look at this prayer on the, on the, on the screen, and let's say it together. You ready? One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's remain seated and let's just sing these words together, read the words from the screen, and make it a prayer to God. Purify my heart in your presence. Pure like the whitest of snow.
Take the bread or the wafer first. If you just hold it in your hand. The Bible says the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broken it, he passed it to his disciples. And he said, take this and eat it. This is my body, which will be broken for you. This bread symbolizes Christ's death on the cross. His body was broken so that we could become part of the body of Christ and be whole and united together. Let's take the bread together, church. same manner after supper he took the cup and he said this wine symbolizes the new covenant in my blood the new agreement the new arrangement that God would make with mankind that through Jesus shed blood we could be washed clean take this and drink it and do so in remembrance of me, he said. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink this wine together, church. And let's stand together. And let's just say the words of this prayer together. Say, Father God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Wash me and make me whole. Fill me with your love and grace. And lead me always in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's finish by singing. We want to sing about how God is a life-changing God. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead gives new life to us, raises us out of our lostness, out of our darkness, out of our sin, and resurrects us to new life in Christ. Can you say amen, church? Come on, let's sing together.